Undog Notebook Podcast, a podcast featuring the stories, trips afield, and legacies that are left following great gun dogs and classy bird dogs. I'd like to thank my sponsor, the Pride Dog Food, for their excellence in performance dog nutrition and Orvis for allowing me the written platform for my outdoor writing. I'd also like to thank the other friends and contributors that make this gun dog community such a great thing. Thanks for listening. This is the next episode of the Gun Dog Notebook, hosted by Darrell Smith. And this is your host, Darrell Smith. Um, so let me tell you about who I had on, or I'm about to have on, not who I had on, who I'm about to have on um, tonight. This particular episode is going to be a bomb episode because the gentleman that we have on made my was one of the many people that made my uh, trip to Purcell Farms just so amazing. And then he's a really good shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, if if I can go ahead and introduce, this is Chris Edlin, um, you know, definitely a huge representative for Purcell Farms and Orvis and everything, but Chris, I'm going to let you do your own intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate you, um, you know, having me on for this. Is, uh, it'll be a good time. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Chris Edlin, and I work for the Orvis company um, based in... Silicaga, Alabama, and um, place that I work is a. It was it was the second shooting grounds for the Orvis Company, um, located at the Farmlings Golf Club of Purcell Farms. So um, that's kind of where I am. Where I am now, I've been there for going on four years now. Wow. So it, yeah, yeah, I've been here since uh, since we before we opened opened the uh, shooting grounds. Wow. So what I was going to ask you, what were you doing before that? And just, you know, how did how did we ended up meeting? Because you've been, you know, in the hunting and fishing industry for a good long time now. Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of funny. Before I came over to Orvis here in Alabama, I was actually with Orvis in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, I was a fishing manager there and then also was a fly fishing instructor and uh, taught corporate fly fishing schools in some different places. And, um, yeah, I actually started with Orvis part-time just as a fishing sales. I thought it would be kind of neat to get to sell fishing gear and uh, have somebody pay me to do it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so from that point, um, you know, I was actually I actually had a career. I was going to take over my, you know, um, one of my family's business and uh, decided that I'd like to, Step on them all and see, kind of see how it went. Okay. Um, so it's been a been a been a journey so far. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, talking about that, um, you know, when I like I said, I did some some Instagram stalking and, and all kinds of stuff on you, and I mean, you just have a like a load of information out there, especially in terms of you know you guiding. There have been a, quite a few people that have done interviews on you and 
um, you know, just written about you. So I really want to take it from the beginning. How did you get into um, fishing? And we'll take it from there and go into the hunting and stuff. But your forte is fishing. So how did we get there? Basically, I, I grew up in the Mississippi Delta. I uh, was born up there. And, I mean, the outdoors were just, I mean, it's a big part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so from, a, from an early age, I mean, I you know started fishing with my dad. And uh, my granddad and I spent, you know, we every summer, you know, I took a trip to Arkansas and went trout fishing. Um, so really, I mean, basically since I was a kid, if there was a place to try to catch a fish, I was I was there. Nice. Um, you know, if anyway, I mean, if there was a body of water and a place where I could get to it, I was I was trying to do it. It's just something that I've always felt really close to me and something I enjoy probably more than than anything else. Um, it's just something about the water and and tricking a, a fish into thinking that something that's not real is real. Right, right, right. I mean, now see, that's the thing about fishing. Now I probably couldn't catch a fish if he jumped in my lap. <laughs> so. I uh um, it, it is it's frustrating and rewarding all at the same time, yeah. Yep, yep. And that was one thing that I noticed about it. And you know, the good the, what I like about fishing is how do I say it what I like about fishing is a lot more of what I don't like about deer hunting, if that makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> yes, exactly. It makes a ton of sense. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. it's a lot of waiting. <laughs> Yep, there's, and it's cold, and you're having to sit still. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. for some odd reason, I, I enjoy it way much, mo- way more. Um, you know, waiting on a on a fish to to get something than I do a deer. So, it, you know, I don't know what it is about that man. <laughs> why Why is fishing just the idea of waiting on something like that? What do you think that is? Man, I couldn't. I guess it's because you never know when it's going to happen. Right. Um, I mean, each you know each cast that you make or each new area that you that you go to could potentially hold that fish that you're looking for. Right. Um, you know, and it's, I guess it's the same thing with hunting too. I mean, it's not like everybody that that can harvest big deer or catch you know catch a decent amount of fish or even good fish. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has to do their homework. Um, you know, you have to put in the time. You have to be able to you know have those days where you go. And not catch a thing, not see a thing, but you're you're patterning the fish, you're patterning the animals, you're trying to figure out that body of water, that time of year, you know. So it's kind of I think it's a whole process that makes it fun. Right. And then also think that once you do hook into that, you know, that fish you've been looking for, it just makes all of that worthwhile in the end, you know, because you're always learning something. Right. I mean, I don't know that you'll ever know everything that there is to know. Right. Um, especially when it comes to you know, the outdoors or I guess anything in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what makes it a lot of fun for me, at least. I mean, I enjoy, you know, even though you're not catching fish all the time, I still enjoy being out there. Right. And, and it's kind of like every time you go and you don't catch something, well, what did I do then that I, you know, maybe should have done mm-hmm. uh, to make that trip a little more productive. But, you know, I guess it's, uh, it's probably a mindset thing too. Well, I, I think it is when we're talking about, you know, we haven't even gotten to the, the, the meat and potatoes of the conversation, but when you talk about a mindset, you know, for me, you know, upland bird hunting is my thing. And no, like this season, I can, it, you know, I can definitely say I've only got five dove in the bag and, you know, a few uh, tower shoot pheasants to go, 
you know, with those numbers and, and so on and so forth. But I, I'm not like overloaded in numbers. You see what I'm saying? But right. just getting out there and, you know, I, I walked around Thomasville, Georgia, Camilla, Georgia, walking around the woods scouting for quail. And we didn't, you know, I, I saw one on the road, literally flew by me. But in the woods, you more or less just walking around hoping and waiting and looking. But it's something about being out there. Yeah, you know, I know for me, it, there's there's very few places that I can go to where everything just kind of goes away, with the exception of what I'm doing at that at that moment. <clears throat> and and fishing is 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 that for me? Right. I mean, if I I can have you know all the stress in the world, and if I'm on the water somewhere, it's kind of like everything just melts away, and it's me, fly rod, and a fish. Right. You know, and that you know it kind of brings it down to the simple things, I guess. Yep. Um, but you know, it's just something about it. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's it now. All right. So this might sound like a, like a, a newbie question before again, before we even get into, you know, more on you, why do fly rods and fly reels cost so much? It's so before we started this, we started talking about technology. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, it's the same thing that goes into those. Okay. I mean, the, the the craftsmanship and the materials that are used mm-hmm. to to build these products, um, you know, it, it takes it takes a special person to be able to, you know, basically design a rod that does something that a previous generation rod didn't do, and finding new materials and how to manipulate those into, you know, making them into a fly rod or making them into a reel or the whole machining process. Mm-hmm. You know, our the majority of our rods are actually, you know, handmade in, in Vermont, um, nice. which is a really, really neat thing. And, um, you know, even some of the new reels that we have are now being made in the U.S., um, which, you know, at that point, I mean, some of the, the pricing is going to increase just because of, you know, the cost of, of the product in itself. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not a fly rod designer by any, by any stretch. I mean, those guys are so much... Uh, so much smarter than I'll than I'll ever be, um, but it's you know there, there's a there's a whole lot and whole team that goes into just the I think just the brainstorming process on what can we do better next, mm-hmm. and then basically having to develop technology and to, to develop the way these rods work and the way these reels work and what can we do differently to make it better, cut down on weight, you know. So it's um, you know there's a, there's a lot that goes into it I think to make some of the pricing what it is. Right. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you've got, you know, you've got your top-of-the-line fly rods, like you have your top-of-the-line bows or rifles or shotguns, and then you have the ones that are more of the entry level to where there's not a whole lot of barriers, mm-hmm. you know, to where there, there's something that will fit almost every budget that's there, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. And, and, and that, you know, that's my thing. Like, and I, and I hope that didn't sound too crazy. That was mostly... I feel like I knew you were going to say that, and I'm glad you did say that because there is a certain, you know, artistry that goes into everything that we do, right? And whether it be um, hunting, whether it be fishing, with firearms, dogs, uh, nature, <laughs> there's a whole artistry that goes to it. So, you know, I asked why they cost so much just to, you know, for somebody as reputable as you are and, and as knowledgeable and experienced as you are to really bring that home and, um, you know, shed some light on it because, you know, my wife used to get on me. She doesn't anymore. 
Um, but beforehand, you know, we would talk about it. And she would ask me, like, why are you spending so much money on this stuff? And I was like, well, you know, in, in short, I, these people are putting, you know, a, a heart and soul into these devices. Right. And they make your experience way better. It, it does. It definitely does. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, having the right tools for any job, mm -hmm. um, you know, makes it makes it a lot better and hopefully, you know, easier on the user as well. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and that's really my thing. So, when we're talking about Chris Edlin, who who even taught you how to fly fish? How did that happen? And what if I were a new person and, and you're a guide, how could we get someone new that has no idea like myself? How do we make me into a very proficient uh, fly fisherman? And how did you learn how to be that proficient? Okay. Um... Well, it's kind of kind of funny. So I had a, one of my best friends, um, Richard Wally, and I were heading to on a trip to Arkansas, mm -hmm. um, and he said, "Well, he said, you know, we ought to we ought to go up there and, and fly fish." I was like, "Okay, let's do it." Um, so I went and bought a little cheap, you know, fly rod and reel, literally at Walmart. Yeah. And um, you know, basically, when I find something that I like, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of you know, nowadays watching YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. And um, so I actually watched, this was before I worked for Orvis, um, I was watching Pete Kutzer's videos nice. on the Orvis YouTube channel. And so I literally, every night, literally, I would grab the rod, I would go out into the street in my neighborhood and cast in, you know, under the streetlights, basically. Mm -hmm. um, just trying to teach myself bad habits. Which is, which is exactly what happened. Uh, and so, so, you know, I did, I did that, and, and um, you know, I quickly realized that, you know, talking about different types of, I guess, different qualities of, of uh, tools, I uh, found out very, very quick that a better rod was going to help tremendously. Um, and I was a member of a fly club in, in Jackson, Magnolia Fly Fishers, and um, started talking with those guys, and then we went to the Orvis store. It was a new opening, and did a, a tying demo. Um, just kind of sitting around, hanging out in the fly shop, you know, tying flies and chatting with everybody. Right. And talked to the district manager there and the retail manager asked if they had something part time. And um, not that they came about it for a while. And then I got a call and said, "Hey, we've got just available. Do you want to come work here part time?" I was like, "Absolutely." And so, from that point, I, I received another phone call uh, from the head fly fishing instructor for the Orvis company, Truel Myers, and he was actually at Game Fair. I don't know if you had a chance to spend some time or meet him, but... Um, I don't think I did, but you guys okay. really set it out for me, so let me not quote that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Truel is, is one of the most amazing catchers I've ever seen in my life, so mm. it... You know, what I thought was uh, going over to a place for a, a you know a couple of day casting seminar because we taught uh, fly fishing one hundred and one classes at, at the store, which is basically a free introductory class in the fly fishing. Mm -hmm. And um, did a couple of days with Truel and some other gentlemen there, and then Truel asked me if I'd like to become a basically a casting instructor for the Orvis company. Wow! <clears throat> and uh, so I you know I, I tricked him enough to make him think that I was good. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, from that point, you know, I started teaching schools, 
And uh, I, I quickly found that that was probably the most rewarding and, and some is still my favorite aspect of what I do for Orvis um, is being able to teach people something that I'm extremely passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, for a, for a person that's new to the sport, I think that there's probably a lot of what people feel like are boundaries for people to get introduced into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the sport seems to be kind of shifting to a different, in a different direction to where, where especially the Orvis company is trying to make it to where it is more, I guess, open and feel more welcome to mm-hmm. everyone. Yep. Um, and so all the retail stores, at least to my knowledge, all the retail stores do what's called a fly fishing one-on-one program, which is a free introductory class into fly fishing. So basically it's on, it's on Saturdays or Sundays or however the stores set it up because their schedules are all differing. But um, it's, it's a free class. You come out, you know, you learn how to cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn how to, you know, you learn what a leader is. You learn what a tippet is. You learn how to tie on flies. You learn different types of flies. Um, and then you also get discounts on products to where that kind of, you know, it's like, hey, come out, do this for free, see if you like it, you know, and if you want to get some of the products, they're available to you. Yeah. And so I think for somebody that's new, that's wanting to at least try fly fishing, um, probably what I would recommend doing would be to just find somewhere close that you can, you know, find someone who can give you a casting lesson. Um, that way you're starting on the right foot as far as heading in the, in the correct direction on, on, the, on the mechanics of the cast, but kind of the basic fundamentals of the cast because everything works. You know, it, I tell people in schools all the time, it's kind of like a foundation of a house. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to start with a good foundation before you put it on top of it. Right. It's the same thing with fly fishing. You start with a good, just basic cast and you go from there. Yep. Um, and just kind of progress yourself into more advanced casting techniques. Um, I mean, I would say for somebody that, that doesn't really know if something would be interested in, do an hour lesson. Yeah. You know, find somewhere, do an hour lesson, use their gear. You know, you're not out of any money except for the cost of the lesson. Right. Um, and, and see if it's something that you're going to be interested in doing, and, and hopefully it is because, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a ton of fun. It's a great sport, and um, I think that'll get people started in the right direction anyway. Yep, yep, I agree. And... You know, you you said something really cool, and I want to I want to, you know, do a bit of an Orvis plug, um, kind of as a thank you. But I'm one of those people that thanks people a lot. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, <laughs> I'm, I'm a very grateful person. Um, you mentioned something that was really cool, and you said that Orvis is definitely trying to bring uh, more people into the industry and make it more attainable for people. Um, and they definitely, I mean, Reed Bryant, like we all love Reed. He did that for me. He's a good guy. He's a good dude. And he definitely did that for me, um, you know, by just allowing me to kind of, um, you know, come and, and, and hang out with the cool guys in the hunting industry. And then, you know, I get to Purcell Farms and then I meet you. And, you know, the first thing you say to me, well, not the first thing. But like I, you introduced yourself to me, and I really didn't know any of y'all. I kind of was like, right. you know, hey, <laughs> you know, and I didn't want to be that guy, like, oh, like I'm, I'm here because X, Y, Z reason. No, like I'm, I'm. If you can't tell, I'm, I'm very sociable, but kind of standoffish at the same time. <laughs> yeah. 
And you came up to me and was like, hey, when you get a free second, let's go shooting. <laughs> I was like, okay. Now, you, you know, and now I got a friend. And... Yeah. <laughs> and, you know... Any it's, reason to go pull the trigger, man. <laughs> dude, any, any reason, okay? And so now what happens is I get into... Uh, I get back into the truck and all of that stuff. And I'm going to lie to you and sit here and say that I was not nervous when you asked me that. (laughs) (laughs) There was no no point in that. (laughs) Well, I, well, I had a good time, but what, you know, and, and what was fun was getting out there shooting with you guys. But what was even better back to my point is, uh, the fact that just all of the Orvis guys, I mean, you guys, I was watching the instructions. I was watching how everything was set up at Game Fair and all of that stuff. And just, you know, you and how approachable you are and stuff. That's what makes people want to do this. Yeah, you know, we appreciate that. I mean, seriously, man, like, you know, I can go down a list of names of everybody who I spoke to in between Atlanta and, and, and Silicaga. But I mean, it takes that. And, a lot of my mission is to is you know now and I'm, I've only been hunting and, and doing all of this stuff about three years now, and always wanted to do it, but now I'm at a point where I'm I want to introduce new people to it too. Yeah. You know, but also I'm a big product junkie, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm yeah. not gonna introduce anybody to, to crappy products. <laughs> sure. Yeah, any of the outdoor, any of the outdoor sports, I think you have is uh, they're they're gear junkies' dreams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's anything and everything you want. Anything and everything, and you know when we talk about Orvis and all of that stuff, I mean, again, they just have anything and everything that you might want from dogs, all kinds of stuff. But to me, it's the people. It's literally the people for me. You yeah, know, that's I. Cool. Uh, that's a cool thing. I mean. You need to feel, I think that that people that have the, you know, or I guess more or less in a position to introduce people mm-hmm. or, or even just be around it and, and just talk about it to people need to be inviting right. and, and welcome, welcoming. I mean, it doesn't need to feel like because you haven't done this before or if you're new to it that, you know, any, any different than anybody else. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not going to find one person that's done this and said, well, I was born knowing how to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it, do, it doesn't happen. Everybody had to be introduced. Everybody was a newcomer at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, so why not, if you have the ability to do that, why, you know, why not make it enjoyable for somebody? Right. You know, I mean, that's, I think that's a huge thing. At least for me, it is. Right. You right. Know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really neat thing. I mean, there's a lot of special moments I've had with Orvis, you know, and the majority of them have been, being able to introduce somebody into something they've never done before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I don't know, it, it's, a, it's a neat thing. Exactly. And, you know, much of what you do as a guide, and I want to talk about that a bit, much of what you do as a guide um, has everything to do with with how people, how you approach people and how you make them feel throughout the entire hunt. So, you guide fly fishing, um, you do some other hunts too, it, like hunting stuff, but you know, what's the experience like from start to finish as far as how you guide when you get clients, new clients, and stuff like that? Well, if I, if basically, before I start anything, I mean, be it a lesson, um, a school, you know, even somebody coming in looking to buy 
you know, fishing products, um, or a guy to trip is that, you know, I have a conversation with them first. Right. You know, I want to make sure that, that, that what we're trying to attain is something that, or what, basically if, let me rephrase that. I want to find out what their goal is. Right. You know, is, is their goal to go out and learn? Is their goal to go out and, you know, try to catch their first fish on a fly rod? Is their goal to go out and enjoy their time with their, you know, wife, husband, son, daughter, dad, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always have a conversation first and, and try to feel them out. I introduce myself to them. You know, I normally make a little joke with them, and it's been kind of fun because you get these people that come in and kind of like you said about being, you know, being a little nervous to go shoot. You know, a lot of people that haven't fly fished before, they're nervous about it. And so when I, when I have a new person, sometimes I'll kind of get a read on them, and I'll be like, all right. I was like, so have you ever done this before? And they're like, no, I'm here to learn. I said, well, me too. This is my first day. Right. And uh, sometimes they, they kind of get a kick out of that. Sometimes they're like, really? <laughs> if I find else. Um, <laughs> like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, really? When we, have to, we have to pay you for that? Um, so... You know, we have a conversation. We kind of see what they want to do. And then once we get them on the water, you know, it's like, okay, so this is how this is how the fly rod works. This is what we need to do in order to make a cast. You know, you don't, you don't have to cast 60, 70 feet. You need to be able to make a cast 20, 30 feet and get your fly on the water. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, from that point, I mean, it's, it's working with them. You know, if they need to work on their cast, we work on their cast some. You know, once again, if they're, if they're out there, we have a couple of lakes on property there, and if they're looking for numbers of fish, I take them to one lake. If they're looking to learn, you know, how maybe where to find a bass, where to find this, this type of fish, because all of our fishing there is warm water. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I might take them to another body of water, to where there's, you know, differing areas, to where they can take what they learn with me and hopefully use that at their body of water or wherever they're going to go to next. Mm-hmm. Um and then we try to, you know, we work on a lot of casting, work on talking about different flies. We, I mean, you know, some people get in the boat with you and they're, and they're with um, business part or something else and they're wanting to talk business. And so I row the boat and uh, help them out when they need it. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a lot, I think, from guiding the fly fishing side of things also on the hunting is, is reading the people that you have. Yep. Um, because there's so many different personalities out there. And... Um, being able to, I think, work with a broad spectrum makes it more enjoyable for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and hopefully we get some fish in the boat, and that's always a bonus. Um, but unfortunately, you know, they, they're going to do what they want to do. Right. <laughs> so it, it does not always work out like we want it to, but we, we give it our best shot anyway. Right. Right. Now, and, and you get, I'm sure you've gotten people that were maybe a little more discouraged after all of the work and stuff like that, that they don't get fish. And it, it happens. It does. It does. I mean, you know, I think that the, from from my standpoint, I think the majority of the of the clients that we have that come out to do that, you know, when they when they come to Purcell, when they come to Orvis. I mean, it's, you you were there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a destination. Yep. You know, you don't just happen to drive by it. Right. You know, um, and so people are there. I think that their mindset is already to they're going to be there to have a good time. You know. Um, and so, yeah, some people are kind of, you know, really want to catch fish, but then you have people that are just like, hey, you know, I learned something, I enjoyed it, and, um, you yeah, know, I'm going to go play golf. I'm going to go shoot, you know, sporting clay after this. And 
just got to go on about their day. Right, right. So and there and that and that Purcell, they're getting an entire, you know, smorgasbord worth of experiences yeah. there. I mean, there's yeah, no way that you can't do that there. Yeah, there is a ton to do. I mean, the Purcell family, with everything they've added the past couple of years, has done just a fantastic job on on making it a place that appeals to, I would say, most any you know outdoor enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, be it from the sporting clay side with us, from hunts, fishing to golf, um, they have horseback riding now. They have the UTV rides. They you know mas- uh, they have a a um, place to get massages. I mean, it's they've done a fantastic job on on their vision and kind of getting that vision put in place. So I got to give you know a lot of props to them for. We didn't even have the, the foresight and doing what they did. It took a lot of work, and um, I hope they're, they're proud of everything because everything I've heard has been, been very, very good so far. Right, right. Now, I, when I tell you, you know, my wife was very adamant about finding that uh, spa. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was, spa. I couldn't even think of the word. Man, look. <laughs> We we were we were out there and we didn't even know there was a spa there at the time and I can't remember who mentioned it um, and they weren't working that day but the people <laughs> at the spa weren't working but she was like oh there's a spa okay yeah, you were yeah. At that point. yeah she's kind of like look you go shoot you do that bye whatever I'm gonna go find that spa <laughs> I see you at the end of the day <laughs> so I mean. And we're going to go back out there, man. We, we've we actually been putting some plans down to get, um, you know, our family, my uh, in-laws and, and sisters and stuff like that out there. So, I mean, you just can't go wrong with that out there. But again, it comes back down to the people and the vision. You know, yeah, it's, it, there's, there's a good team in place. Yep. Yep. So this is my, my, my last newbie question about fly fishing and, what I see on fly fishing, I, I see you casting, you know, with a with a beautiful cast of photographers, got you in cubby rise and, and the the line is like flailing in the air, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so what what is it about casting that makes it so technical and beautiful at the same time and what is it about a, a about tying a fly and i ask that because i watched this uh this really good show it's ozark on netflix and the the, the little yeah. the, the the agent is always tying a fly yes I, yeah i watched <laughs> that that's that uh, series that's a that's a good one that's a good one. Uh-huh. look season two was that deal too anywho <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a whole other, whole other, another conversation there. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I mean, as far as casting a, a fly rod, you know, there's a lot of people think that it is this really difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not to say that it's you know it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, but it, it really comes down to just a couple of things. I mean, if you can move your hand in a straight line, and you can make that rod stop where you need it to stop on both the back cast and the forecast, you can make a cast. I mean, it's really, and that, that's as far as a basic cast, that's what you need to do. Okay. You need an acceleration point, you need a straight line, and you need to stop the rod. And that that's really all it is to making a cast. Um, you know, I mean, that, that would be your basic fundamental of a, you know, pick up and lay down cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a lot of students here recently, well, I call them students, sorry, I mean, clients who, who come in and, and do private lessons or schools and 
you know, we get them cashing a little bit, and I'm like, look, you, you know, you've got that basic cash, when you're cashing 30 feet. Right. And they were like, well, they were like, well, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was. I said, I know. I said, you just don't. I said, people think too much. Yep. You know, <laughs> get out of your head for a little bit, enjoy it, and relax. Yep. You know, and, and make a cash. Right. Um, I mean, there's always going to be some area that you can work. I mean, you know, I still practice casting quite often. Um, which I mean, that's probably because I have faults I need to work on, but you know, it's just at the same time, it's kind of therapeutic for me just to cast in the grass without a fly on. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, now granted there are some things that you can do to make, you know, a more effective, more accurate cast. There's different styles of casting, different techniques. Um, but to make a basic cast and catch a fish, it just comes down to some really simple things. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it was kind of neat, uh, when they said that the writer from Cubby Rouse was coming down, I, I, you know, and they took some pictures and all that stuff. I saw with a photographer, and um, he said something about going to print. And I said, well, man, I said, Yo. I said um, you know, the stock prices might drop <laughs> in there. <laughs> so, um, oh, my yeah, gosh, I mean, you're a clown. <laughs> it, was, it was a really neat, it was a really, really neat experience. Um you know, to be in a publication. And, you know, it was a picture. It wasn't really, you know, it wasn't an editorial or anything on me, but it was neat to be mm -hmm. kind of, you know, in that. I mean, the, you know, John Thames is an excellent guy. I've gotten to know him, you know, the past couple of years. And um, it was just, it was cool. It was a, a really, really neat experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so, and when it comes to, you know, actually tying a fly, <clears throat> Anybody that tells you that tying flies is going to save you money, um, I would say they're wrong. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's a whole, yeah. I mean, it, then you get into this whole other aspect of it, you know. Um, but what's neat for me, you know, being being an outdoorsman and a hunter, is that you can use a lot of the materials from animals that you harvest to tie a fly to then catch a fish. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of the full circle for me, anyway. You know, like if you were to go harvest a deer, right. you can take, you know, the tail off a deer and tie a clouser minnow and catch a bass with it. Um, you know, duck feathers, um, squirrel. I mean, there's, you know, turkey, pheasant. I mean, there's a whole plethora of, of natural materials that, you know, being a hunter, especially in the upland side of things, that you have materials that you can harvest the bird, turn around, use it, and catch a fish. Get out of um, here. Yeah, so that's that's a neat thing for me. Yeah. I would have never known that. Yep. Yeah, it's that's pretty cool. Wow. Right. So all of the quail feathers after I eat them that just go to waste, <laughs> I could figure yeah. something out to use with those. Yeah, actually some of the quail feathers, some of those flank feathers down the side underneath their wing uh, makes some pretty good soft tackles. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, again, newbie moment. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, um, that's a, uh, to me, that's kind of cool, you know, yeah. um, to take a dog, you know, um, sit, in a, sit in a deer stand, harvest something, use the materials, catch a fish. Well, you know, it's, uh, that's, a, it's pretty neat, pretty neat to, to say you've done that. Yep. Yep. Yep, I I think so, man. And that but that's the whole point of nature, right? To for for everything to be reusable, sustainable, recyclable. Um it, you know, like that's the point. And that really honestly, Chris, like I had no idea about that. Um that 
it, like if I if there was anything that I will say really drew me into fly fishing because I'm getting more interested in it the more and more I see you know see content and kind of learn about it but that right there was a selling point for me man yeah it's cool if you man when you come back over mm-hmm. um let me know we'll go we'll go out and fish a little bit okay let's do it hey you, look now I'm, I'm if, if you can't tell you invite me to a good time I'm gonna show up <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my word you just get you just get there. All right, cool, 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 cool. Okay, so now this is what I want to know about. I did not know you had a lab. Yep. It's gauge, right? Yep, I have a, a male gauge and a female Dakota. Okay, so tell tell me a little bit about them before we get in there because I know you said you uh if you guys have driven shoots and stuff like that. So tell me about your dogs. Uh, well, Gage actually he um he's gonna be eight this actually this month. Okay. Um, so yeah, his birthday. Well, actually, he's probably gonna get mad because I forgot. But his birthday's <laughs> coming up pretty soon. Um, so yeah, he's eight years old and um. You know, I grew up with with dogs that basically had jobs, mm-hmm. you know, one way or another. I mean, I had, um, you know, Springer Spaniels growing up. I had labs pretty much my entire life. <clears throat> you know, granted, when I was a kid, you know, the majority of having a dog was just to have a companion. Right. Um, and I think your parents get you dogs to teach you responsibility. Yep. <laughs> yeah, my, look, that's why my dog, my parents didn't get me a dog. <laughs> Yeah, my daughter's holding one now. I'm like, not yet. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I, I bought, I got him from from a uh, a breeder in Mississippi, and it was kind of a it's kind of a funny story. Is that you know I put a deposit down on him, and I and I went and saw the puppies, and I picked him out, mm-hmm. you know, before it was actually time to take him home. And so I come back to get him, and come to find out they actually had sold the dog that I picked out. Oh, no. And I get the gauge. Yeah. So, but it worked out. I mean, he's a great dog. Yeah. Uh, good with kids. I mean, just he's just a good dog. Now, yeah. you know, the training that that I did with him, to give him credit, wasn't to the extent that it should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, because my, my knowledge on training dogs was, and still isn't anywhere close to where it should be, to actually have a dog that you can take to their full potential. Right. Because um, in my mind, when I had him, you know, eight years ago, when I got him, it was like, well, if he'll heal, sit, stay, and fetch, that's all I need him to do. I you mean, know? there you go. Seriously, though, I mean, that's really what you need him to do. Yeah, I mean, and for what for what for what we do, um, he does a really good job with it. Right. I mean, I, I trained him myself, um, and I would say train being used loosely. Mm-hmm. In that in that context, yeah, uh, I spent a lot of time with him. You know, um, we worked on a lot of different things, um, and he, you know, for the first, you know, I guess four years of his life and hunting with me, he was the only dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once we started working around other dogs, he had to figure out very quickly that he was not the only dog that goes to get a bird. Right. Um, so he was kind of a bird dog the first little bit until he figured out that. You know, you have to honor other retrieves. And right. Honor, you don't go. <laughs> yep. um, and so, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a great dog. I mean, you know, he's not a show dog. He's not a field child dog. But but he's, he's 
you know, he's my buddy, and um, you know, he runs a lot of hunts with me, picks up a lot of birds every season. Um, and now Dakota's coming in. She is going, she's three, we're going to be three. So um, I bought her from a breeder in kind of middle Tennessee. Okay. Um, because Gage, knowing the, so the work that we do where we are is, you know, I would say for the typical hunter, um, the amount of birds that he picks up is a significant amount more than what you would typically see in a season, mm-hmm. uh, just because of, of the volume of hunts that we do. Right. Um, and so he's he's wearing down, you know. Mm-hmm. So I got her to take up basically his spot whenever he retires and go home to hang out with the family. Right. Um, and so I'm training her in a little bit different way, using more of the positive reinforcement, more of the wild rose training. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think most of the training for a dog is is uh, <laughs> the trainer needs to be trained first. That I, I think that is the most <laughs> important part of it. <laughs> because, you know, it, dogs are a lot smarter than we are. Yep. Um, and, if you know, if you most of I think most of the problems probably come back to the trainer would be my my take. Yep. You know, once I'm not a dog trainer, um, but, you know, for at least from my experience anyway. Yep. So, but it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun having dogs that I can, you know, watch retrieve birds and have them come back and have clients and people, you know, ask about them and talk about them doing a good job. And that's just, it's a neat thing. Right. He's, he's part of the family. Right. And I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to, man, is, you know, that, and, and you said a, a few things that I absolutely agree with. Um, number one, it's great that we have these field trial dogs and hunt test dogs and stuff. And like, I, I have no issue with any of that stuff, you know, but for the person who like myself, like you, who gets their first dog, especially if it's a lab, you know, my, my, my big overarching questions are, does the dog do the job that you need him to do? Right. Point blank period. You know, I mean, yeah. we can, it's, it's great to look on YouTube and, and things like that. And, and uh, you know, I just had a, a the uh, owner of the Super Retriever series. I just had her on a, on a podcast. And, you know, Shannon Nardi, she's great in all of that stuff. And, and it's great to see all of these dogs taking these three, four, five hundred yard marks and just all kind of stuff. Right. But yeah, it's, that's impressive. It's, it is very, it is very impressive. It is very impressive. But. For the everyday common man, does the dog do the job? Just you know, yeah. when 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 you when a bird falls, does it go down? One big thing that I work on a lot with my dog is game finding. That's a huge thing for me. Sure. You know, and it, I I mean, he handles you know very well. Hell, I drive a Toyota Tundra. He handles like I drive my Tundra. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, he doesn't handle like I'm driving a, a, a Porsche. But at the right. same time, I, we bring birds back when they fall, whether it be a pheasant, a, a, a tower shoot or, you know, a quail hunt or anything like that. When birds fall, they come back to my hand. And with a lab, you know, very seldom does that not happen. Yeah, they're, they're, they have that, you know, just instinct to do that, mm-hmm. um, which is. Which is cool, but at the same time, they're, they're going to test you. Yep. They, oh my gosh. So mine's is two right now, and Lord, 
This clown over here, he's a great dog, though. Don't get me wrong. Great. Love him to he death. Did, he did his teenage years. He's rebellious years. Man, I thought I was bad as a teenager. Good Lord. <laughs> and I'm just like, look, and, and my scary, the scary question is, we just got married. Um, shoot, if a dog is this bad during his teenage years, what are my kids going to be like? <laughs> By the time they're there, the dogs have taught you a lot of patience, probably. I, I hope so by then. <laughs> <laughs> so let me. The, the the next thing that that you brought up that I really um, align with is the uh, Wild Rose way, and you use that. I actually use Wild Rose. I was it was a pleasure to meet Mike Stewart out there. Um, out of all the different things that you could have picked, what made you go Wild Rose? Well, you know when I. I guess growing up and seeing, seeing being around dogs and you know the, the and, and with Gage, you know, mm-hmm. my the first lab that that I trained that I had as a you know as an adult. Um, so I think that the positive reinforcement that that Mike Stewart and, and the Wild Rose trainer do, I think that is um, you kind of instill some different things, but it also I I think that it still keeps that really good bond between you and your dog mm-hmm. um which is huge because i mean they're they're what they're they're trying to do things to please you right uh, um and i think it's it's really easy and once again not you know not a not a trainer but i think it's really easy with um i guess over disciplining a dog mm-hmm. that you can you can go in reverse really quickly yep um and so I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying it this way. You know, granted, I do think that, in my experience now, that the results are a little bit slower paced. Yep, they are. Um, but I also think that at the end of it, everything that they do is going to be habitual. Yep. And not forceful, I guess. Right. right. Um. And so, you know, that's kind of, and I, and I got to spend some time with Mike, and he did a seminar with us last year. And, you know, my, actually, it was kind of funny. My, my grandmother and Mike Stewart's wife used to go to Sunday school together. Get out of here. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, because my family, my grandparents live in Oxford and uh, know the Stewarts. And, and so we got to spend some time with him last year and uh, spent some time with one of his trainers when he came over. And just really, really liked how they how they did it. So I got his book, started reading it, started, um, you know, kind of working my way slowly through his process. Mm-hmm. No, I... So it's, um, it's I, neat. I, I really think so, and you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, I don't want... I, I use this term, you know, a lot around my friends. I don't want a microwavable dog, if that makes sense. Like... For some for some reason to me that doesn't seem natural, and yeah. and 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 that was me starting with Wild Rose, and starting to doubt it because I was new and and didn't know, and I'm going out and seeing a bunch of other trainers and their dogs are doing all kinds of great stuff, but then what do I see? There's a collar on them, and it's not to get into a whole collar discussion. It's just my personal experience. Um, you know, but then I take I, I I notice that, and I start to see my dog's behavior start to change. And yeah. you know, yeah, like okay, yeah, I'll go and retrieve your birds and stuff, but I'm doing it a lot more hesitantly now. You know, and beforehand when I was using Wild Rose, it just seemed like he was enjoying it. I was enjoying it, and 
though the process was a lot slower, I got a chance to study my dog. Like I was studying kind of like fly fishing, how you were saying, like you were teaching yourself bad habits. Well, for me, I was teaching myself bad habits and then unlearning those bad habits. You know, it's just, I'm trying something different with my female than I did with, with my male. Um, you know, um, and like, I mean, it, it is a frustrating process. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, most of that's going to come back to me. You know, if, if she has, I've told plenty of clients that, that come out and hunt with us. I said, if she has any problems, it's not her fault. Right. You know, that is all, that is all my fault. And I'll be the first to accept it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And that, that there is an honest trainer that, you know, I can, I can take that man. Cause you know, again, for me, at the end of the day, like I said, it, it really does come down to, you know, the trainer and, and who's, number one, who's training the dog? How are you training the dog? And how observant you are. I think that's, you know, really, 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 really cool that you can, you know, identify that and honestly be be real about it, especially in front of people, um, you know, that are paying you to do it. That's a really commendable thing. So... You know, one of my my last questions, and and you definitely, I didn't even know you guys had had this much more to offer at Purcell. You guys do a lot of driven shoots, and you blew my mind with how many birds that y'all push. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's pretty neat. So we um, and we do a driven pheasant pheasant shoot over there. We do a couple of them each year, um, and we do five guns, and we have. Now, luckily, with where we are, we can play around with topography. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, our, you know, our quail fields have, which I don't know. Did you get a chance to make it over there and see them at all? I did not get a chance to see them. I like I saw them from a distance, but I didn't actually get a chance to walk up to them. Okay. Um, yeah, was, that was a that was a pretty busy weekend. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was. <laughs> but, Look, I don't even work there, and I was busy. <laughs> yeah. on the property and we have you know lines and we do five shooters and then we have you know guys that are that are handling dogs mm-hmm. and then we have guys that are trying to you know basically push these birds um, now granted things change very quickly when you're when you're dealing with birds and sun and wind and clouds and rain and any other you know variation that mother nature can throw at you mm-hmm. um, and so you know roughly for a five for a five man shoot you're gonna see you know, 200 to 300 birds, something like that. Wow. Um, on those, and they're, you know, those, those aren't always the easiest shots to make, um, you know, because they do have a tendency of getting, you know, getting pretty high pretty fast. Right. Um, but it, it's a sporty shoot. I mean, the driven shoot, we try to, you know, it, being in Alabama, we try to simulate what you would, as closely as we can anyway, what you would see over in the U.K. with, you know, having driven line with etiquette. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, handlers being being dressed accordingly. The shooters typically are dressed accordingly. You know, and it's and it's more of an experience and camaraderie. And um, you know, it's it's just a, it's a, it's a neat thing. I think that the majority of people that come out and done those have have really enjoyed it. Right. Um, and then we do the continental style shoots as well, and uh, we do you know three three open shoots for our members and then um, we've actually had 
three private shoots this year. So, um, so yeah, we kind of do a mixture of a lot of different things. Wow. I mean, and, and you're definitely handling Gage and uh, Dakota. You know, have you have you had any kind of uh, just wow moments or aha moments while you were handling those dogs during those shoots? Um, I've seen some pretty cool things. Um, I actually saw Gage jump about three or four feet in the air and catch a catch a wounded bird that was trying to get away from him. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was. He's only done that once. Yeah. I don't expect that to happen very often. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty neat. I mean, you get to see, you get to see a lot of different people. You get to see a lot of different, you know, styles of shooting. You get to see, I mean, it's, it's a whole, you, you basically, you can see anything you want to, um, while you're there. You know, the majority of people that come and shoot the pheasant, you know, for our pheasant shoots, they, they're not bringing dogs with them. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're going to be more focused on shooting. And, um, we, you know, that's why we have our handlers there. Yeah. Um, basically when somebody comes out with us, we want them to just to be able to focus on, on having a good time, having a good safe hunt and, um, you know, enjoying their time with us and we handle the rest of it for them. Yep. 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 No, I mean, I, and that's the way it should be. I mean, when I, when I do, um, tower shoots, I actually just did one last weekend. I shoot and handle. But that can, yeah, you know, that can kind of be a lot at times. That is a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it, one thing, you know, and um, I'll give you my little, what I call a, uh, a cubby confession. Me and my wife made this up. But I'm going to ask you about that too. But mine from uh, last weekend was, I, and if you look in the last couple of videos that I posted on uh, me shooting pheasants, I released my dog way too early. Like, because I, I, I said his release word is Ruger. Mm -hmm. And somehow, unconsciously, I was saying Ruger. And what I know what I was doing, what I was trying to do was get his attention. But like yeah. an idiot, I was calling his name. And he's thinking, go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he released, I was like, crap, wait, no, I wouldn't try to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. but I mean, he's, he's a good dog and he handles, um, and he's very steady and stuff like that. Like you said, but it comes down to user error. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I, know it, I know it is in my case anyway. Man. Yeah. So what, what, as before we conclude and things like that, I have to ask you, what is your particular cubby confession? I never tell people that this is coming. So what it is, it can be an uh, uh, oops moment, a crazy moment. It can be something really good, really stupid, whatever you got while you're either fishing or hunting or anything. Oh, I've got a bunch of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's see. We can go with one on, on fishing. So I was in the middle of um, a river in Arkansas fly fishing with some buddies of mine and um, I, the, the fly line had actually gotten in between like the spool and the line keep. Mm. And um, so I, I pull the spool off and I'm going to put it back on Well, the 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 cap that holds the spool onto the reel fell off into the river. Well, so I'm like, well, yeah, that one, that's gone. <laughs> moving water, it's cold. It's it's a it's a black piece of metal. You know, it, I'm not finding it. Yeah. So, 
you know, then you proceed to fish the rest of the day with your with your arm turned sideways, hoping the reel doesn't fall off. <laughs> um, and then throughout the process, you know, you have these little, basically, on the on the reel foot, and then on the reel seat of the rod, you basically have these tightening um, nuts that, that lock the reel into place. Mm-hmm. And during the casting process, you have vibrations, you're walking around, and they have a tendency of backing off every now and then. And so I was in the middle of casting, and I cast my reel completely off the rod. What? And it, oh yeah, it falls into the water, and you know, yeah, you know, then you've got depending on how your drags, uh, you know, you're you're trying to fish, and your buddies are there, and yeah, oh, yeah, you know, I, I teach you about to fly fish, and your and your reel just comes flying off your rod. Oh. And uh, yeah, you look really <laughs> cool when that happens. Oh <laughs> so, man! It's a party trick. Only special people can do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> So what do you do to recover from that? Pull in a bunch of line and hope to hope that you don't, uh, you know, hopefully you can find it and just get back on. Luckily, you know, your line's attached to the reel, um, but if your reel continues to go down the water, then you've got backing that's on there too, so it could take you quite a while oh. to get it back. But luckily it didn't, it, it wasn't too bad. Um, it could have been a lot worse, um, but it also could have been better and not happened. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, I don't think I would have known what to do in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, the water doesn't take it. Right, right. Wow. Okay. Look, this is this is like a new segment of my podcast that I've been doing and it's very interesting to see the things that happen while you're out on the hunt or you know, out in the woods and in the field. Um it's very interesting what people go through. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, and yeah. If anybody tells you they haven't had something bad happen, they're probably lying. They're they're definitely lying. I can look. I we we can record an entirely a whole new podcast on how many like just user errors that go on with me in the middle of a hunt. Yeah. Yep. That yep. 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 So my my last thing that I wanted to get on because of course I had to ask you. That was a fab arm uh, over under you were shooting, correct? Yes. Can you yes. tell? And that what? If I'm not mistaken, is that a new Orvis gun, or had you had that for a while? No, that's uh, that's the uh, Axis RS12. Okay. It's uh, it's basically a sporting gun um, that that fab arm manufactures, and um, we have that one's actually one of our guns for the shop as a demo gun. Um, we try to have different guns for different types of people, but it's a it's a really heavy gun. Mm-hmm. Oh, you shot it? Uh, yeah, I did. You know, it's it's a heavy gun, but it's it's obviously not something you're going to carry around in the field walking six miles. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a really nice sporting gun. Uh, you know, heavier gun typically takes out some of the recoil because of the weight of the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I like the way that gun moves. You know, it swings pretty well. Um, yeah, it's been a fun gun to shoot. Right. Well, when yeah. you when you gave me that gun, and and of course, in my nervousness, I was like, all right, like I want to try that gun out. And you put it in my hands. First uh, clay pigeon that was fired, that was launched, I hit it, and yeah, I mean easily. Like like you said, it swung well. It the weight that nine pounds, it did seem like a lot. But I, I was also all day shooting my my silver pigeon. 
Right. So we went from a, a little bitty 20 gauge to a nine pound gun, but there was exactly. literally no error. No, it's it, they're they're nice guns. I yeah. mean, you know, the Fab Arm and Cedar Guarini guns um, are just they're just they're well made guns. I mean, there's you know, like anything else, the guys that are making those know know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I grew up shooting, you know, eight seventies, eleven hundreds, and you know, some over and unders, but never really got into more or less the sporting style. Um, until you know, been around it for a, for a while now, right? Uh, and so you kind of gravitate towards that. Um, so I, you know, I get to work in a really cool place. I don't get to shoot all that often, um, and it's you know, being able to shoot that gun has been a pleasure. Well, I can't tell that you can't shoot that often because being out there <laughs> shooting with you, and and let me tell you guys to my listeners how crazy Chris Edlin is. Okay, dude. You set up so many crazy shots for me. <laughs> you talking about the manuals? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it was it was amazing. It was extremely fun. But man, I was like, Chris, what are you doing, man? I gotta hit all these things. <laughs> yeah, we threw four at one time, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the green shoot. <laughs> Look, I, I, I took it as practice. I was like, well, when I want to get on a wild covey of quail, well, I, I guess I'm going to have like four or five or six of them plush anyway. Yeah, you got to pick one. You got to pick one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, I just, I really, really, really appreciate you getting onto the podcast, man. And, and of course, you, I, I tell people all the time when I like you, you're stuck with a friendship with me now. Yeah, hey, I'm good with that. So, uh, that. <laughs> I, I appreciate you having me on. Like I told you, I mean, this being my first time doing one of these, you know, I was kind of like, I don't know if he wants to talk to me for an hour. Um, uh, I figured I wanted to talk to you when I met you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this has been this has been a lot of fun, man. Man, yeah, this this has been great, and of course, you're gonna see me time and time again. We're coming back out there. Is there a way that my listeners can get a hold of you? Can I send you know send you hopefully send you some new clients or anything like that? How can folks get a hold of you? Yeah, um, I mean, basically, you know, if you were uh, our you know, our website is orvis.com slash Purcell Farms, mm-hmm. um, and then. You know, I don't know really how how you guys do this, but I mean, I'm I guess more or less on Instagram and Facebook as well. Yep. Um, now most of my, I mean, if you've seen my Instagram, I'm not, you know, I probably I'm not as prevalent in the in the Instagram world as some people, mm-hmm. um, because most of mine is just basic hunting and fishing and some randomness. Yeah, that's uh, all that we need. But but uh, yeah, I mean, there and then. Um, you know, also, I mean, our, you know, look up our number, call us at the clubhouse. I mean, um, you know, they can they can call and ask for me. I'm pretty much there all the time. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy, <clears throat> pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, and you have my email too. I mean, if somebody needs that, you know, feel free to pass that info along. For sure, for sure, for sure. Well, you know, Chris, I want to thank you again for the millionth time. Um, not only just for getting on the podcast, but you know, it really, I, I was not BSing you when I, when I said it meant a lot for me that, you know, you guys came and just really showed myself and my wife such a good time out there. So 
Like I said, you stuck now. <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's fun. Though. It was it was a pleasure to meet you and your wife, and um, you know, I enjoy getting to spend some time with you. I know that <laughs> I felt bad the first you know that that morning because we had a, a time set up and uh, talking yeah. with Tyler, and I said I can't make ten o'clock. It's all good. <laughs> so, I said, but I, I, I'll go talk to her. I'll let her know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun to spend time with you, and you know. Like you said, I mean, I hope you enjoyed your time spent with us, and then hope to see you again soon. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, guys, if y'all can't tell, I had a good time recording uh, this particular episode. I know that y'all did, and um, that was Chris Edlin from Orvis uh, in Silicon, Alabama, Purcell Farms. If you guys, please, please, please reach out to Chris. He's a great guy. Um, and anything more, you know, just reach out to me, reach out to him. It doesn't matter. However, you got to do it. Um, but that's the that's the episode with Chris Edlin, guys. That's the Gun Dog Notebook. Um, and we will be back with another one coming soon. All right, y'all take care. Have a great one.